Tonight's episode of Midnight Tea is brought to you in part by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Download the free app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Evening, fellow goths, horror enthusiasts, and children of the sun and moon. I am your humble Los Angeles witch, and welcome to another episode of Midnight Tea. So, first and foremost, guys, I want to apologize to you guys on not having an episode out on midnight of Saturday the 27th. It's not that I was sick or had COVID or stress. Okay, that's a lie. Definitely was a little stressed. But I basically had so much work to do and it absolutely took priority over getting this episode of the podcast out. So I do apologize that this one is now coming out in the week instead, just because I didn't want to wait and all the way up until midnight of September 3rd to release this episode. So I do apologize for that. And this is no way to end a season five episode. Yes, guys, this is the last episode of season five. But I wanted to let you know that season six or the beginning of season six is going to happen on September 17th at midnight. I will not be recording on um, on Saturday, September 10th, as I am going to be at D23 Expo in Anaheim. And oh, the costumes and, and pictures that are going to come from this, you guys are absolutely not ready. I'm beyond excited for this. But in any case, how are all of you doing out there? I know if you are in the Northern Hemisphere, we're going through summer pretty hard. But I'm actually pretty happy to say that it's not as hot as I thought it was going to be. Like, yes, it's warm. It's very warm. But we've only had a few days in the 100s. And even as I'm saying this, we're still about to go into a um, a few days of 100 degrees. And even then, that's still not as bad as it has been in previous summers. So I'm at least here in L.A., If you're in other parts of the United States or the Northern Hemisphere that's going through a hellish summer, please, I encourage you guys to stay indoors. I know it's expensive, but crank your fans or your ACs. And guys, hydrate. I cannot stop singing those praises enough. Stay hydrated with water, people. Not just any liquid, water. You have to take care of yourself out there. And of course, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, you lucky sons of bitches are spending it in winter right now, which, as you know, I always prefer. But I hope you are all staying safe out there as well. That being said, guys, I have a doozy of an episode for you. This one might run a little long, but let's get into it. And as per usual, guys, I got to hit you with that disclaimer that tonight's episode may contain, will contain, strong language, possible spoilers, lots of spoilers for books and media and dark topics. So this is your viewer or listener discretion advised. So guys, we're going to go ahead and start off this episode with, you already know, Monster High, because I have so much news for Monster High for you guys right now. So let's get started with the release of the newest doll in the Haunt Culture line, which is Cleo Denial, Daughter of the Mummy. Now, if you guys are familiar with any of my social media, like Instagram or TikTok, you've seen that I avidly collect the Haunt Couture doll line, which is considered their more higher price point doll. Each one of these dolls, when they're released only online through Mattel Creations, is $75 each. And as of lately, I have 
the the um, uh, the available three, which is Frankie Stein, Claudine Wolf, and Dracula, the daughter of Frankenstein, the wolf, the Frankenstein monster, Wolfman, and Dracula, respectively. Um, but since then, we have now released uh, Mattel Creations has now released Cleo Denial, who was debuted at San Diego Comic Con this past July, and I'm gonna be honest, guys, out of all of the four Monster High dolls that are released thus far, and yeah, I said four, I'll get back to that. She's been the one that I feel everybody unanimously loves. Um, because with everybody, with all the other dolls, people have had some nitpicks. Like, Frankie had a very wonky face mold, and even I've noticed it, even on my doll, that her, it looks like her left eye is a little further away from her nose than her right. But in terms of leveled, like, like if you could put a piece of paper's straight line edge against her eyebrows, they should match, and mine does. But I know others who are not as fortunate with their Frankie doll not matching up. A lot of people nitpicked about Claudine's color palette because her color palette is all over the place for her Haunt Toucho doll. I'll admit that. Doesn't mean I don't love it. It's just it is a little all over the place. And almost nobody really has a complaint with Draculaura because truthfully, I feel like Draculaura is the one doll they can't do wrong. Like, I don't ever think there's been a necessarily bad Draculaura, just ones that people like more than others. But with Cleo, I feel like people have unanimously drawn to her. Like, they love the doll from Jump. So it's it's really refreshing to see that she was so beautiful and so well-received. Well, this past Friday, Cleo finally debuted on Mattel Creations, and yes, she did sell out within five minutes. Um, I know a lot of the Facebook Monster High groups that I follow had said, oh, well, she sold out in 10 minutes or she sold out in eight minutes. No, the consensus was five because one thing I like to do when I buy these Haunt Couture dolls is even though whether I buy one or two, which in a lot of cases I usually just buy one, but sometimes I buy two because a friend will ask me to help them get get a doll. Um, I like to go back and check and see what time they finally sell out. Now with Frankie, she's only sold out within eight hours. So she had some time, like you had time to get her with Claudine she actually didn't sell out for two days and with Draculaura she sold out within 10 minutes more or less 10 minutes so with Cleo I didn't want to take any chances and yes she sold out within five minutes did I get her you guys know the answer to that of course I got her I had no problem getting Cleo at all um and I, I did see a few people who were complaining online that they did have issues getting Cleo because the minute you jump onto the site, when the doll drops at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is California time. I know Pacific Standard can be weird, if you, especially if you're in like Hawaii, for example. You'll think it's 9 a.m. your time. But because it's set in California, when they say 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for places like Hawaii, that actually means, depending on the t- but depending on daylight savings time where you are, could either be two or three hours behind us. So whether it, so in this case, it was 9 a.m. here in California for to get the doll, but it was 6 a.m. in Hawaii, which I know that means you got to get up crazy early for this doll. So you have to be on the website at least by 5.50 in order to be prepared to get her. Um, so yeah, I did see a few people complain that they didn't get Cleo because of the bot that tries to keep from scammers and scalpers from getting the doll. Um, but no, I had no problem. I was actually able to score two and one for a friend and one for myself. And also I want to give a huge shout out to Mattel Creations because these dolls shipped incredibly fast. My doll is already shipped. Um, I bought her on Friday 
And as of yesterday, she's already announced, she's already shipped. So I will probably have her by this time next week, which I think is insane. And I, I thank you, Mattel Creations, for faster shipping, because that's really cool. I didn't pay for express shipping. I, this is the standard shipping. I know people who paid for express got their dolls today or yesterday. And I think that's amazing. But I'm willing to wait, wait a while for it. And yeah, she'll be here within a week. And yeah, she is going to be going up on my Monster High shelf with her other haunt couture sisterhood, um, where Claudine, Frankie, and Draculaura currently sit. Um, I also have all three of my current haunt coachers all signed by Garrett Sander. And yes, I know he didn't create or he didn't work on these dolls at all since he was no longer with Mattel by the time these came out. But I still love them regardless. He, you know, he is Monster High. Regardless of who's on this team now, he created this doll franchise that we love so much. So yes, I will always sing the praises of having him sign my dolls. Um, and same goes for the eventual Laguna that will be coming out at some point, probably before the end of the year. Now, as far as seeing Laguna, Laguna and Cleo were both debuted at San Diego Comic-Con. And Cleo, was, of course, out of the two, was the one I was gravitating more towards. Um... And not to say that I didn't like Laguna, but she was definitely giving me under-the-sea 80s prom vibes, which is not necessarily bad. And I didn't dislike her. It was one of those she had to grow on me. But I'm still excited for her nonetheless. So whenever Laguna drops, I'll probably get her too. I also have uh, another Voltageous Frankie coming in. I did get one at San Diego Comic-Con because I did want it signed by the current team of Monster High. And I did buy a second one on the Mattel Creations website, and I'm going to be doing a, I've, I've mentioned it in a previous podcast, but I will be going to Monster High Facebook groups, and this is going to be completely based on honor system, guys, and please, I want you to be honest with me, because it's not going to be fair to others. I want this Voltageous Frankie to go to someone who did not have the opportunity to either A, go to Comic-Con to get her, or B, get her on the website because she sold out so quickly. Because even uh, Voltageous San Diego Comic-Con exclusive Frankie did sell out online within like five minutes. And I had to try to get her while on a train with spotty Wi-Fi on my way down to San Diego to get her and I got lucky. So with that in mind, I really want this to go to someone who didn't have the opportunity to get it. Whether it be a collector who just wants one just to display or even if it goes to a kid who's going to open it up and just enjoy it because it's a doll. I want it to go to someone who does not have this doll, had no chance to get this doll, and does not want to pay scalper prices for you, for the doll. Um, I'm going to sell her to somebody at exactly her face value. So none of this 100 and some odd dollars for the doll or this, that, or the other. I want her to go to someone who wants to pay regular standard price to get her. And I want to give that honor to somebody who doesn't have the doll. So if you guys are listening to this podcast and you do not have the Voltageous Frankie from Comic-Con and you do want her and you don't want to pay crazy scalper prices, I'm putting out that feeler that when the doll does come in, hopefully this in this next week, because she's already shipped, I want her to exclusively go to one of you guys out there who did not have the opportunity to get her. So please keep that in mind and we'll talk more about that later. And if you think I'm done talking about Monster High, oh, I'm not. Um, so... As you guys all know, because I'm such an avid collector and I try to respect all forms of Monster High, whether it's Gen 1, 2, or 3, I am on the lookout at all the current Macy's that have the Toys R Us department in their stores, keeping a firm lookout for the new Monster High Gen 3 dolls. Um, 
as far as I've seen right now, nobody has them. I live within four Macy's and none of them have, none of them have, um, had even an inkling of the dolls. The closest I have is one of the Macy's I go, I frequented has the sign for Monster High, but no appearance of dolls as of yet. As far as I know, California might be one of the last places to get these dolls just because of where they are. Uh, as you guys have already seen online through Instagram, I'm sure, or even TikTok or Twitter, Canada has already debuted the dolls. Um, I don't know where exactly in Canada, or I think it's, I believe it's in Toronto, where some U.S. marketers who live near New York or near the Toronto border have already just kind of jumped the border to grab the dolls and bring them back and sell them. And yeah, they're they're technically scalpers, but they're being fair by charging $50 per doll, which they would, they're going to be roughly $25 when they come to the U.S. And I gotta say, I'm, I still love them. Like, I do still plan to at least get the main three of Frankie, Draculaura, and Claudine, um, with Laguna and Cleo kind of just being a maybe situation. But as of yesterday, we got the debut that somebody found Torlai. And the Torlai doll, it, granted, it's a little bit of a blurry picture, and the sheen of the packaging, of the plastic on the front of the packaging, does kind of hinder the view of the doll. But it looks really cool. It is kind of exciting to get these daily updates and see these kind of things. So, yeah, Torlai is coming. As far as confirmed dolls that we've physically seen for G3, we have Frankie, Draculaura, Claudine, Cleo, Laguna, who's only been in a picture uh, for the Coffin Bean playset. We haven't seen a, um, a physical, like, somebody picking up an actual package of the doll. But we have those, and now we have confirmed that we are getting Torlai. Like, it's a picture of her in her packaging. Somebody's physically holding her. So that's pretty exciting, too. I don't know if I'm going to pick up Torlai, Laguna, or Cleo. They do look cool, but I, I, it's, a, it's more of a budget reason than a likable reason, because I'm running out of space, guys, and these dolls are costing me quite a bit of money. So, plus, I still got more Monster High news after this. But, yes, yeah, so my goal as far as, far as collecting right now is to just kind of have, I'm, as, a, as an old G collector, I just want to keep collecting any more Haunt Coutures, which as far as we know right now, there's five. And I do want to continue collecting Haunt Exclusives and the Scollector dolls. So any other dolls outside of that that you can find at like Walmart or Target or Amazon, I kind of want to... And Toys R Us. <laughs> I want to keep those on a maybe spectrum because, again, I do have a lot of the original dolls from the first run. So it's it's a budget reason because storage units getting kind of full here, guys. So with that in mind, keep your guys keep your eyes peeled on all the Macy's in your in your area, especially if they have a Toys R Us section, because that's where they're going to be. As far as I've seen, they're going to be. Um, anywhere near the like Rainbow High dolls or the Mermaid dolls, anything that's by Mattel but not Barbie. And I mean, I, I would still say check the Barbie section too because you know how people are with these dolls. Next, another update, and this is also for G3 Monster High, is that we now have Monster High plushies. They're very small, they're palm-sized, and as far as I've seen, they've only made ones of Frankie, Draculaura, Claudine, Cleo, and Laguna, as far as I've seen. Um... And I've only seen the pictures online. They're $5 each because they're very small. They're palm-sized. And they'll be selling at Walmart. Now, some people have said that they've already seen them at Walmarts. I live within three Walmarts between my house and my job. And I've still yet to have seen anything Monster High show up at Walmart just yet. 
whether whether it's dolls or plushies. It, it's It's been very lukewarm on that. And I'm still trying to keep an eye out for when they do make an appearance. But as of right now, I haven't seen anything. But if you guys do, feel free to hit, hit me up, send me a message, especially if you're in the LA area or if you're in an area where they've already started debuting the dolls, let me know. Maybe we can make an arrangement happen where I could throw you money and you could ship them to me. And finally, because like I said, there was a lot of Monster High news. We finally got photo leaks from the Cursed Prince on Instagram, who I've, all, I've actually followed for a lot of the Disney princess dolls that I collect. But now they have debuted. I don't, I'm assuming it's, a, it's male, but I'm not going to make assumptions. So I'm going to use they, them pronouns. They have debuted photo leaks of the of the monster high dolls called real drama now we've kind of gotten hints about these dolls because poster leaks have came out about a couple months before of essentially the monster the the four monsters of frankie draculaura claudine and laguna in black and white scale and they will only have one thing on them that has a pop of color which is usually going to be their hair and their eyes well that's two things but We've had leaks of the posters out for a while, which I've seen, and I thought the posters were incredibly cool because they look like old monster film posters. But now that we finally have leaked footage of the dolls and what the boxes are going to look like, and they look so fucking cool, guys. Oh, man. Like I said, this is going to cost me way too much money. Monster High loves to keep me broke around the spooky season. So these dolls are all black and white scale with... Frankie is going to be completely black and white, save for her eyes. A lot of people have said both of her eyes are blue, but if you look closely, one eye, yeah, they're both blue, but one eye is a little lighter than the other because I think they're trying to go for that monochrome scale. And she does still have her iconic black and white hair. She does have streaks of blue in it, though, like a sky blue. Um, other than that, everything else about her is in grayscale, and she does come with a doll stand and her dog what's it, and the dog is completely black and white as well. And also, you'll notice her hair is incredibly long. Her hair goes down to her ankles when you see the photos of her online. Then next, let's go to our girl, Draculaura. And Draculaura is also completely black and white, save for her... Save for her uh, pigtails, which are uh, her iconic black and pink, which that didn't change. Her eyes are also pink now for the doll. Again, incredibly long hair. Her hair is also down to her ankles. It's still in her iconic pigtails. She still comes with Count Fabulous. Count Fabulous is also completely black and white, just like her, save for his eyes, which look like they're pink. Again, the photo's a little blurry, so I'm going based off of what I can see of it. So that's Draculaura. Let's go to my girl Claudine, who Claudine is, oh my god, amazing. Again, bl completely black and white scale. It, in the photo, it looks like there's a small hint that her skirt could be a, like a very pale lavender mixed with gray. But again, the photo's a little blurry, hard to tell. She comes with her cat, Crescent. Crescent is also black and white. Her hair is a lot longer. Her hair goes down to her calves. And it's completely black with streaks of purple. And man, ah, oh, she looks so cute. I have to have her. And finally, last but not least, we're going to talk about Laguna. And Laguna is completely black and white. Comes with her piranha, Neptuna. I believe it's a piranha. And her hair, her hair does look like it still could be a hint blonde. Or at least it's white. And it does have ocean blue streaks in it. Um, I can't see her eye color too well, but it does look like her eyes are at least green-ish. Which I know, again, some of these monsters are not going to have their original eye color, but something similar. But she looks fantastic. 
and the photos of the boxes that they're gonna come in oh my god these boxes make them look like collector edition dolls but they look super cool it has a film a film reel strip at the bottom and again these dolls are called real drama r-e-e-l drama and i can't stress enough that i have to have all four or at least the main three because they look so cool and yes these are gonna go into my infamous monster high bathroom i swear to you guys the bathroom is nearly finished it will be shown off hopefully for the spooky season because again i've been working on this bathroom for over a year to make it look its absolute best and i think it's just about there so finally that's gonna be all the news i have monster high for the moment but yeah a lot of big news also um I, I'm sorry, I stepped ahead of myself. The real drama dolls will be selling at Target. Rumors started to say that they were going to release them September 1st, but now I'm getting information that that date is actually for Canada. So Canada will get the dolls first on September 1st, and we are slated to get the dolls by October 13th. I think they wanted to do something kind of Friday the 13th-esque for the dolls, but considering October does not have a Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th... Um, uh, sorry, October 13th falls on a Thursday that year. That's kind of the slated date. But if there's anything I've noticed about Monster High release dates is that they're never accurate. Um, same thing when they did the creep production for Frankie, Laguna, Claudine, and Draculaura. Those dolls did not debut um, on a Friday the 13th. I actually got those days. I got these dolls almost four days earlier because somebody just put them out earlier. And same thing with Caddy Noir many, 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 many moons ago. When they released her at Target, she was supposed to release on Friday the 13th because that's her whole thing is a black cat. 13 is her lucky number. And that doll also released a full week ahead of Friday the 13th from Target. So with that in mind, these dolls are going to drop a lot earlier than their dates. So even by September 1st, which is essentially tomorrow, I w or today, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, I would start checking Targets now. Same thing for Macy's. If you're looking for the G3 dolls, start looking now. Start calling now. Um, there's plenty of um, doll influencers, especially for Monster High online, that will give you the UPC or the barcodes so you can start scanning and checking out for when these dolls drop. Like I said, check Target early for the real drama dolls and good luck to all of you guys trying to get them. And again, a good, big congratulations to any of you who got the Cleo Denial Haunt Couture doll. Like I said, mine will be here next week. I'm also planning to eventually get her signed by Garrett. And of course, when Laguna finally drops, I'm going to do the same as well. And that's going to pretty much take up the entirety of my Monster High shelf in my bathroom. So whew, had to take a breath there for a second. But yeah, that's the biggest Monster High news, guys. Good luck to all you collectors out there. And then stay tuned for my when I decide to do my sale for the Voltageous Comic-Con exclusive Frankie. Also, guys, I wanted to make a quick correction about my last episode of my podcast. When I kept referring to Frankie, I kept using she, her pronouns instead of they, them. And please understand that it's not that I'm trying to disrespect pronouns. It's I legitimately forget I'm not good at remembering pronouns all the time. I'm constantly slipping and I'm trying to better myself of it. So sometimes when I refer to the 2010 Frankie, she still went by she, her pronouns, whereas the new G3 Frankie goes by they, them. So if I offended anybody in this, I truly apologize. All right, guys, so let's get on to our next topic in which I want to talk about the casting for the Adams Family 
for the new upcoming horror comedy Wednesday that will be premiering on Netflix very shortly. So I want to talk about how they released photos of everybody in costume and immediately people started taking issues with some of the characters. Now, for any of you guys not really in the know, and this is kind of what bothers me, if you're not in the know about the history of Adam's Family from its comic strip series to the cartoon to the 90s movies, etc., you're going to find yourself frustrated with the fact that the, the cast is so, is so ethnic. But keep in mind that it was always this way. Um, it was always known that Morticia is, has a Romani descent, whereas Gomez, as his name should suggest, is Latin. So I don't understand why people find it so weird that the characters are no longer whitewashed and they're actually going back to where its roots are. Even Jenna Ortega, who's going to be playing the titular Wednesday, is ethnic, as it should be. Um, But that's not what I'm taking issue with, or nor the fans necessarily. No one's angry about Catherine Zeta-Jones playing Morticia. No one's angry necessarily at Jenna Ortega playing Wednesday. Uh, Even Isaac or, or... I'm going to butcher his last name. I'm so sorry. Ordonez. Isaac Ordonez playing Pugsley. All fit the mold of exactly what you expect out of the titular characters. But what fans are taking taking to the streets about, honestly, is about Luis, Luis Good, Guzman playing Gomez. And there's been several issues. And one of them I will agree I don't, I, I took a little bit of an issue with, but I don't hate it. Um, So when photos finally came out of what the family are going to look like in costume, everybody immediately took issue with Louis Guzman having a particular hairstyle. And I'm going to be fair, I don't like the hair either. Um, I didn't like it because, I don't know, it just came off weird. And that is not the fault of the actor. That's the fault of the costuming and hair department. But I just said it one time online that I was like, ooh, not the hair and left it alone. Whereas fans are adamantly trying to even boycott this show because they're so upset over the look of his hair. And I'm like, guys, that's a small nitpick. Like, get over it. It's really not that big of a deal. Then, if it wasn't that, then it was the issue of people were going to the streets about Louis Goodman's um, portrayal of Gomez. About, oh, he's uncharacteristically, he's not super handsome. And I'm like, yeah, but look back at the comics Gomez has traditionally never been very handsome, and Morticia loves him obsessively, unconditionally so. So I don't see what the problem is. I think this is perfectly fine. It's honestly, I don't understand the late the hate that Luis Guzman is getting because he doesn't deserve it. And lastly, it's over again, him being a Latin actor, playing a character. Wait for it. You're, you're going to be shocked. Named Gomez. A Latin actor playing a Latin character. Fucking shocking. But people are taken to the streets again because of this. And it's like, were y'all dropped? Like, were you dropped as baby? Do you not understand how this works? And I think it's because we've had... America has always had a history of whitewashing ethnic characters. They had Marlon Brando playing Genghis Khan. A character that's traditionally Himalayan. Because, again, Hollywood likes to whitewash actors. 
Very much so. I actually found a very interesting TikTok that shows how many characters or how many actors out there actually have Latin descent and were forced to either play whitewashed characters or whitewash their names for marketing consumption. Again, one of the many reasons Hollywood keeps fucking up. But with this, it does make me pretty upset because I love this actor. I love Louis Goodman. I've seen him, Guzman, sorry, I keep mispronouncing his name and I'm a terrible person for it. I love him. I've seen him in so much, in so many movies and so many television shows, and I think he's fucking phenomenal. So I don't see what the hangup is. I think in terms of looks, again, a little, still a little weird about the hair, but in terms of looks, he's a Gomez to me. Now, if there's ever, like, if, of course, there's always Raul who played, um, who played Gomez in the 90s movies, and I always loved him as my Gomez. He will always, to me, he's, he's my heart and soul Gomez, but that's also because of nostalgia reasons. And I, as much as I want to say it, I'm sorry, I'm not in desperate love with Angelica Houston's Morticia. Not that I don't like her. Not that I don't like her. Don't come for me with pitchforks. It's not that I don't like Angelica Houston's portrayal of Morticia. I will always give it up to the original actress who played her in the TV show. She's always been my Morticia. And what I see out of Catherine Zeta-Jones' Morticia, I don't dislike it, but all I have to go off of is her photo. I don't, you know, we haven't seen her actually do anything Morticia-esque. So once that happens, that's a whole different, that's a whole different ballpark. And honestly, for the kid that they picked to play Pugsley, I like him. I think he's a little more handsome than the original Pugsley. But you know what? I'm willing to wait and see what Isaac Ordonez is going to do with the character. Same thing with Jenna Ortega, because she's got massive shoes to fill. Like, everybody will always swear by it that Christina Ricci is their ride or die Wednesday. And I kind of agree, because that's the Wednesday I grew up with. And every generation will tell you something different. But I want to believe that this is going to be a solid cast. Again, and a lot of it rides on Jenna Ortega. So let's hope for the best for this series. You guys need to stop hating on Luis Guzman. Let him be Gomez Adams. Let's judge his acting on it before we start making critiques about him. Because personally, I'm going to love seeing him as my precious Gomez. And I'm going to enjoy seeing the cast bringing some new life, hopefully better than the two CG movies, because dear God, bring some new life into the Adams family in a way that would do the newest generation proud. Okay, guys, moving on, let's talk about a book. Because even though in my disclaimer, I always mention that there will be spoilers for books, I don't typically talk too much about them. Like I know you, on occasion, you've heard me briefly talk about any of the Vampire Chronicles by Anne Rice, May She Rest in Peace, or briefly, like about any book in particular, I very seldomly talk about books, and especially any that I've read recently. Um... But let's go ahead and I want to talk about a book that I picked up at Comic-Con. Um, it was released by Disney Publishing and the full title of it is called Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, Long Live the Pumpkin Queen. This book is from the New York Times bestselling author Shay Earnshaw. And yeah, this is part of a collection of books that Disney has released via comic-con and now you can buy them online either through amazon or through shop disney or the disney store online and i must admit this was a pretty engaging read 
Um, it's also available through your library if you want to read the audiobook, which I'm going to be kind of honest, that's what I did because I, even though I do own the physical copy of the book, um, I do a lot of driving with my job and it just makes it a lot easier to, to, ha to listen to audiobooks when I'm doing, when I'm on the road. And in audiobook time, I've read the book, the book is six hours long, um, but I also listen to my books at 1.4 times speed. So it doesn't, uh, it doesn't take me six hours to read the book. I actually finish it in a, a little under four hours. So it goes by pretty quick. Um, so yeah, we're going to briefly talk about the book. I'm not going to give full huge spoilers to the book, but I am going to talk about key plot points and such in the book. So if this is something you don't want spoiled for you, I'm going to tell you this might be your time to exit. But like I said, if you're interested in purchasing the book, um, you can find it on shopdisney.com. You can find it on Amazon um, or basically wherever books are sold, Barnes and Nobles or your local bookstore. Uh, it just like I said, it just came out this year um, and I, I believe it debuted at Comic-Con. So it just came out in July. And yeah, guys, it's a fun read. I highly encourage it, especially if you're a big Nightmare Before Christmas fan. This book also plays kind of like a se It plays as a sequel to The Nightmare Before Christmas, and it's also all, as the title should suggest, it's all told from the perspective of Sally. So that's as far as I'm going to go without spoilers. Obviously, I'm giving this book my high recommendation, but I am, again, encouraging you from this point on, this is going to be spoiler territory for the book. If you do not want that spoiled, you might want to go ahead and skip on to the next topic. So, Long Live the Pumpkin Queen tells the story of Sally from the moment the very prologue of the book is about her wedding day to Jack and just that prologue alone it, it it actually has black butterflies fluttering through my chest when I read it it's so cute and so well done and if you happen to get the audiobook and you hear it read by a woman who does try to imitate Catherine O'Hara's Sally voice and I think she does it well enough um it really does hit you in the feels. It's so cute how she talks about the excitement of her wedding day, the dress she wears. They get married on the same spiral hill where they shared their first kiss. It's, it's stupid adorable. It's so sweet. It's so cute. But now we're going to dip into the, a bit of a spoiler territory. So Jack in the time between the time of their first kiss to the time of their wedding, Jack has went to all the other doors of all major holidays and has seen all of them except one, and that is the Valentine's one, which he, the Valentine's Day door, which he was saving for the day that he married, after he married Sally, because he wanted to take her there for their honeymoon, in which they only go for 24 hours, and they have a very nice time. However, Sally is terrified of the idea of, she was just a nobody that nobody really paid attention to in Halloween Town, and now because she's married to Jack, she earned the title of the Pumpkin Queen. And she fears that she cannot live up to the title because not only does she not know how to be a queen, and she even says it in the book, Halloween Town has never had a pumpkin queen. She is the first. She's scared of the duties that are going to fall on her shoulders. She doesn't know if she'll do it right. She's afraid of disappointing Halloween Town. And all of this happens roughly within two weeks of Halloween. So she also has to help Jack prepare all the great things that Halloween stands for. And not only that, when they take their vacation into Halloween, into Valentine Town, she meets the queen of, of that world and realizes she's like, this woman is so beautiful and so regal and she knows how to do her duties. 
and then there's me who has no clue what I'm doing and I'm it's all by the, the by the seat of my pants and I'm pretty much letting Jack take the lead because he's he's done this for for forever he just knows how to be the king I don't so in one day in a fit of panic because of her being bombarded by her queenly duties or royal duties her and Zero disappear and find a door far deep in the forest that was so far back buried that no one knew it existed. She just she just found it for the very first time and it's a door to another world that's not a holiday. It's a dream world. And somehow she unleashes something terrible that threatens all the, the worlds, not just the holiday worlds, but the human world as well, or the mortal world, as they call it, mortal world, tongue-tied. And it's up to Sally alone to fix the wrong she did. And there's a huge twist towards the end of the book that, of course, I'm not going to spoil here, but it definitely has you looking at a particular character in the worst kind of light. And it's for all the right reasons, I assure you. But I found this to be such a fun and engaging read. I don't know if Tim Burton himself would consider this canon to the movie. I even have the manga adaption. Yeah, there's a manga adaption of The Nightmare Before Christmas. It's the entire movie in a manga format. And it's the same story. Nothing necessarily changes. Maybe a little bit of dialogue, but nothing that hurts the overall story. And even the manga is mostly feels like it's told from Sally's perspective. And I could say the same for this book. Um, me personally, I would love to know if this is considered canon. Um, not by Disney, because Disney will always cheat that. But I want to know from Tim Burton himself, would you consider Long Live the Pumpkin Queen a canon story? to the Or the closest we'll ever get to a true sequel to Nightmare Before Christmas. I know there's also another manga adaption of Nightmare Before Christmas out there, which is called Zero Story. Uh, I've only ever read the first book. I believe there's like four. And these are the thin, small comics, which you can finish reading in like 10 minutes. Um, and also because it's Zero Story, there's not a lot of dialogue. It's actually very, very short. I think the whole book together, I think it's like four to six books. And you can finish reading it in less than an hour. Um... I don't know if that's also considered canon to the Nightmare Before Christmas storyline, which I would love to know, again, from Tim Burton, not Disney, if the, he would consider these canon. If it does, it really does change the perspective of how you see Sally. And honestly, the story embarks... It's, it's, it's a very good girl power movie, or movie. It's a very good girl power book that encourages Sally to be her true self. And I'm going to be honest... Though the book has already been released and it has been for some time, come September 23rd, which is the first official day of autumn, or the spooky season, I will be doing a cute little photo shoot of me dressed as Sally, because as you guys know, I do have a Sally cosplay that I made, that I actually even made the dress completely out of patches, and all of the colors that I used for Sally are color accurate to the movie, not the artwork. And I know if you guys look at artwork from Nightmare Before Christmas, you'll notice her colors are brighter, you know, more vibrant. She's more of a blood red, she has more blood red hair. Whereas if you actually watch the movie, her hair is actually more burgundy and her blue is much fainter. It's almost gray. Even the muted colors of her, of her dress. And I tried to make my dress match the color again of the movie, not the art. 
So I will be doing a small photo shoot on September 23rd, or it'll be released on September 23rd to promote the book. And guys, when I say it's going to be a doozy, it's going to be adorable. So keep your eye out for that next month. So yes, do I, would I recommend Long Live the Pumpkin Queen? Absolutely. It is a very fun read. It's a good read for young, for young readers. Um, I think any, and obviously adults who grew up to see The Nightmare Before Christmas in theaters. Um, especially if you wanted to know more about Sally, this is like the book to go to. Um, like I've already kept saying, I want to know if Tim Burton would consider this canon because, because of the context of what happens and a lot of character development happens and again the giant plot twist so I want to know from Tim Burton maybe I could even try to send a tweet see if he responds but yes guys I highly recommend Disney's Tim Burton The Nightmare Before Christmas Long Live the Pumpkin Queen written by Shane or Shay Earnshaw I recommend that you go pick it up like I said Barnes and Noble Shop Disney or Amazon wherever you can find books you will be able to find this book I definitely recommend it. It's a good read. And get to know more about Sally Skellington, our pumpkin queen. And with that, guys, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. But we will return with more of the podcast after a word from our sponsors. All right, guys, welcome back. So we have a fucking huge plethora of reviews for you. So let's get started on shows. Um, we're going to go ahead and review American Horror Stories. They've released two episodes since, one being Bloody Mary and the other being Facelift. Now, I'm going to go ahead and just let you guys know right now, all spoilers from are all spoilers are going to be talked about from here on out for the rest of these reviews. If you don't want to listen to any of them, you're going to have to skip ahead a couple because there's going to be a lot. So let's go ahead and jump into it. So with American Horror Stories, um, we have the episode Bloody Mary, which honestly would tie for first place in my favorite American Horror Stories episodes. Uh, That, of course, including the episode of Dollhouse. That was the very first episode of season two of Stories, which I'm going to call it Stories for short. Um, This episode pertains to four girls who call upon Bloody Mary now in this version of the story, Bloody Mary is not a, it's always, I've always been under the illusion that Bloody Mary has been a white British woman who is said to curse you if you say her name three times unbroken in front of a mirror in a dark room, um, usually a bathroom. But in this version, Bloody Mary is a black woman who was an abused slave in the 17th or 18th century. And she will grant your wish, but much like a djinn or a genie, it does come with very dire consequences. So these girls all wish for different individual things. And they're basically given a time restraint of, I believe, two or three days to fulfill, uh, to fulfill a pat. And if they don't fulfill the pat, they will die. And... It does take a very dark turn for a lot of these girls. So one girl wants to become cheer captain. And in order to do that, she has to kill the current cheer captain because she's a bitch, I guess. I mean, yeah, she's a little bossy. But from what you see of her in the show, she's a little bossy, but she's not terrible. And the girl does not go through with it. And Bloody Mary gouges out her eyes. 
Um, another girl um, wants to get her ex-boyfriend back, but he's already moved on. He's got a new girlfriend. And Bloody Mary says the only way she can obtain her old boyfriend is to post a sex tape that the two of them made, the new girlfriend made with the boyfriend, to embarrass and slut shame her, I guess. So she does not go through with posting the sex tape and she also has her eyes gouged out, leaving two characters left that are sisters. And the two girls do finally make their way to fulfill the last wish, which is to be rich because the two girls live in poverty. Their mother doesn't care about them. She's always bringing home new men and it's just a toxic living situation. So she wanted to be rich so her and her sister could get out of this. But it come to find out in a massive plot twist, their two friends were not killed by Bloody Mary. They were killed by their friend. Because her path to be rich meant that she had to take three innocent... She has to give in three people's innocent blood to Bloody Mary as a sacrifice. With her little sister being the last blood sacrifice. So... In a twist, the little sister kills the big sister in order to, not necessarily to stop, you know, not because of any pat fulfilled by Bloody Mary, but to kill her to stop her from her reign. In which the little sister's wish, wish was to be able to go to this elite college that she would just, she just barely doesn't make the cut for. And Bloody Mary told her that if she wanted to fulfill her wish to go to this college, she would need some kind of edge, some kind of background thing in her background that would push, nudge her into being into this elite college. And Bloody Mary suggested that she talk to her counselor and make allegations that her, her counselor raped her, which does not happen. The counselor never touched her. Um, but make these false allegations of sexual assault so that way it gives her some kind of niche to get into this college, which of course she does not want to do. But by the end of the episode, she kills her older sister in self-defense and Bloody Mary sees this act and says, well, now I'm going to give you the potential to make your dreams come true. And she's like, how is that? So she delivers the, the sacrificed blood of the three of the three other people to Bloody Mary and in turn gets tricked into being the new Bloody Mary. While the new bloody, while the old Bloody Mary or the current gets to go and live a normal mortal life. And it's a bittersweet one because now she gets to play the character by, or the, the entity of Bloody Mary by her own rules. Now this one I really, really liked. I thought this was a very strong episode in terms of telling a really cohesive story with a little bit of a twist at the end. And like I said, I would put, I would honestly tie it for first place with Dollhouse because I really think Dollhouse was the strongest episode in all of, in all both seasons, honestly. Um, I would also give it up, I would also give a second place honorable mention to Aura because Aura's episode two was also very strong as well. But Bloody Mary for me is tied for first place in terms of a really solid storytelling device. The next we're going to go ahead and jump to um episode or season two episode six which is the next episode bloody mary was episode two season five or season five episode five words bloody mary was season two episode five now we're going to jump to season two episode six which is facelift 
which this one was kind of a eh, story to me. It was just okay. Uh, as I kind of feel like with most of the episodes of American Horror Stories. Um, this one about a woman who has a stepdaughter. She lives this lavish life in Beverly Hills, but because she notices that she's getting so much older, wrinkles, fine lines, what, what have you, crow's feet, she feels like it's time for her to get um, surgery done, to get some work done on her face. And she also happens to have a crush on her neighbor who happens to be seeing a woman that she went to high school with or college or she had some kind of schooling with. And she notices that her neighbor's new paramour is flawless. She looks fantastic. She looks very radiant, very regal, very young. So she asked her what her secret was. And come to find out, she goes to this woman who very much reminds me of the woman from Death Becomes Her. Which, by the way, solid movie. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's got to be streaming somewhere. But in any case, she goes to this woman asking for to rejuvenate her look and at first the woman says no but then kind of relents and says you know what I think it's time let's go ahead and do this let's 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 rediscover the new you so through her her medical procedure the woman is wrapped in bandages her stepdaughter comes to check in on her from time to time and of course naturally the stepdaughter is suspicious about all these expensive body modifications that her mother's doing or stepmother but she's still covered in bandages for majority of the episode. Finally, the doctor that works on her tells her that she has this kind of like retreat that she goes to where it's a little bit of a ceremony where they show off the new you, etc., etc. So the mother agrees, but the daughter is incredibly skeptical and come to find out she has all the right reasons to be because this retreat that she's going to where she's going to do her unveiling and the bandages come off is basically a ritual sacrifice. Um, what this episode kind of has going for it is it's very much almost like a Twilight Zone episode. It very much reminds me of a combination of Death Becomes Her and the episode of the Twilight Zone called Eye of the Beholder. Because at the end, when they reveal the mother's new look, she's horrified to see that she looks like a pig. And basically, the surgeon, she is the leader of this cult who have to kill a swine in order for them to continue to enjoy their looks. And the swine is basically whatever person they feel is a degenerate that isn't worthy. So the stepmother is sent on a hunt, essentially, where everybody in this cult is hunting her down to kill her so they can continue to preserve their beauty. And the daughter comes just too late of saving her. In which then the surgeon or the leader of the cult tells her, you were always born to be of us. You were always born to be this level of beauty. You belong with us. And all she has to do in turn is to kill her stepmother. And truthfully, it makes me feel so sorry for the stepmother who, yeah, she's vain and, you know, a little a little into herself too much to not care about the world around her. And she does say some kind of hurtful things. I just didn't think that she deserved death because she's just so broken and it makes me feel bad for her. But in the end, the stepdaughter kills her and becomes part of this cult. And the next time you see the stepdaughter, she's a little more glamorous. She's going to this prestigious school and notice that all the cult members have a very special tattoo of a butterfly. And 
she runs into a guy who also carries the butterfly tattoo because he's part of the cult and they're just out to beautify the world. Again, like I said, it's not a strong episode because of how it's handled. I feel like it's super mean-spirited. And I guess that's kind of the point. But it is a very big combination of Death Becomes Her meets a t- meets Twilight Zone, Eye of the Beholder. And I guess you could say in some ways that's fun. I just feel like this one was, it was just kind of handled a little weirdly. And it, and it made me feel for the person even more. Because all she wanted was a facelift. She wanted to feel younger, feel attractive. And granted, it was probably for all the wrong reasons. But you feel for her and her plight instead of rooting for this woman who obviously is very sketchy from the jump and the stepdaughter was always suspicious of and then the stepdaughter now just joins the cult which i think is eh, it's a story not the worst not the worst at all in terms of stories pretty much two season history of being meh but again I, i i saw all the potential and it just didn't reach it um with the next episode season two episode seven called necro that should be coming out tonight at midnight. Unfortunately, I will not have a chance to review it in order for this episode to come out on time. But just giving you that quick review of American Horror Stories. Um, I'm also going to give a quick, very, very brief um, review for Reservation Dogs, which I, of course, have been watching weekly, weekly love it to death. Um, the next few episodes have been really, really good. Um, and delves more into these characters and their struggle to try to maintain their friendship since this show is primarily based on teenagers just trying to get through their life living on a reservation and it takes some dark turns and it's really hard for me to explain in in just my podcast so if you have hulu because i believe reservation dogs is exclusively for hulu if you haven't had a chance to watch it go check it out it's a really fun watch especially if you're into shows like shameless um it's basically that it's basically shameless but told through a native american um family of kids and i think it's a really really strong series and i think it opens your eyes a little bit more to uh, definitely cultural since everybody on the cast is of actual native american descent this is definitely worth your time to watch and then not too much of a huge review for what we do in the shadows um just that this all this season has gotten better um, the the latest episode in which Nandor and Laszlo go and take a vacation together with their human friend, which I found incredibly hilarious. Um, with that being episode um, episode uh, seven of season four uh, called Pine Barrens, this episode was pretty fucking hilarious, especially giving it giving more attention to Laszlo because I feel like he took such a back burner on this season. He barely had any funny lines. I barely got to really see him or get to acknowledge him. So this episode of Nandor and Laszlo rekindling their friendship finally made Laszlo come to the forefront for me. Then there's also season four, episode eight, Go Flip Yourself, where they try to do this funny house remodeling episode. The main theme of Your Dead doesn't even play. It's just this ridiculous uh, series about these guys that try to flip these houses and... They're working on the vampire house and try to fix it. And the little work that they do is fucking hilarious. Again, everybody gets a moment to shine in this episode. I think it was fucking great. And then there's a huge twist at the ending, which I'm not going to go into. But there's a twist at the end of the episode. And it's so stupid and so funny. And in only the way Shadows could do it. Um, There's also a new episode out, uh, season four, episode nine, called Freddy. 
which unfortunately I will not be able to review for this episode just because Shadows is, an, is a series that I watch with my boyfriend. He will not be over in time for us to watch it together so I could review it. And I don't want to do that really sneaky thing of watching the episode without him because this is something we share. So yes, I will review the last uh, few episodes of Shadows in the next upcoming weeks. Uh, also with episode four, season 10, Sunrise, Sunset, um, which I think is going to finish out uh, Shadows season four. But I will review that in next in the next two weeks. So look forward to that. And of course, if you are interested in watching these shows, I believe what we do in the shadows comes out every Monday on FX. And if you don't have your if you don't have a cable subscriber, that's okay. It shows up next day on Hulu. And with that, now we're gonna jump over to Netflix. I only have one review for you, and it's the review you guys have been asking me my opinion about for a hot minute. And that is The Sandman that debuted on Netflix last month. And guys, yes, I finally got down to watching all of it. All 11 episodes. Because yeah, one episode just kind of appeared out of random. And wow, guys. I I know everybody's going to have their nitpicks. And I do have a few. Very, very few. But overall, this is a solid 8 out of 10. I really, really fucking dig this series. Um... Now, uh, of course, I didn't go in completely blind to the series. I am a a very little, I, I'm trying to expand, a uh, fan of the Sandman series of books by Neil Gaiman. Or Gaiman. I've, I've heard it both ways. I think I gotta hear him actually say his name again. But I'm gonna say Gaiman for now. Um, having read only three of his books, unfortunately. Uh, I know at this point, I actually Google searched it. There's 14 San- official Sandman books. And I've only read three, which is The Dollhouse, Game of You, Season of Mist. I may even think I may have read Preludes and Nocturnes. Not 100% sure. But I own a couple of the books. I have the large figurine of the Sandman. uh, That When a comic book shop in my neighborhood went out of business, I bought it. Uh, Unfortunately, I got this from my big ex. But I do have a small mini figurine set of all the Endless. And I also have this incredibly gorgeous tarot card set that I've never used. I never plan to use it. It's still factory sealed. Uh, tarot cards with artwork and w- inspired by the Sandman comics with artwork by Neil Gaiman, which, like I said, I will never open this. This is a collector's item. It's going to stay in box forever. And I'm, cor- I'm currently working on putting up a new shrine in my room based on Sandman as I have a rotating shrine in on top of my armoire um, bureau that I change I change seasonally and currently it's been the crow for almost a year but now I feel like it's time to change it and make it the Sandman um, because again I am a fan I did have a death statue at one point I think I sold it because uh, I, I didn't like it that much but it's okay it's all fine but man we got to talk about this series so just a heads up guys obviously I gave it a good review um, I guess I'll give you guys a brief synopsis, but I'm going to warn you after that synopsis, we're going into spoiler territory for the entire first season of Sandman. Um, basically, there are these seven bodies that govern the world, and they are called the Endless. And these are immortal beings, I dare say gods, that control certain aspects of the human mortal world. Um, obviously the titular character of the Sandman is Dream, Morpheus. He goes by these titles, any of these work. Um, and he control, he's the, the Sandman is the Lord of the Dreams. He controls the dreaming world. Um, 
And all of these endless, by the way, are also siblings. So we have Dream. His sister is Death, which is essentially a very perky goth who she can, she basically is the Grim Reaper. Now, we've always, in, in our lifetime as humans, we've always perceived Death to be a Grim Reaper who's a skeleton in a cloak with a scythe. But in this, Death is portrayed as a female woman, maybe in her 20s, who's dressed as a goth, wears kind of Egyptian eyeliner and care- and wears an onk around her neck. And she's the one who is very pleasant to the eyes to alert you that you are moving on to the next realm. So there's Death. We have Desire, who is an androgynous person. They can either pre- present themselves as a male or female, but I feel like Desire is always portrayed, is has been male, but very androgynous looking. And Desire controls passion, love, um, needs and wants, and can be very slinky, very, 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 um, almost aloof, but in a very sexualized way. And uh, Desire has a twin sister named Despair. Despair has always been shown as a plus-size curvy woman who in the books has been portrayed as a naked woman with ratty hair, smells of old books and musk, and dep- and basically is depression. She, um, it was always mentioned in the comics, and especially the spinoff comic called Death at Death's Door, that her lover was Edgar Allan Poe. So you can kind of get an idea of how she, how she works and how she functions. Then there's their sibling Destiny, who everybody, the whole family believes that Destiny is blind because you never see his eyes. He wears a a large cloak, he's covered in chains, he carries this tome, and even the tome, the book, is wrapped in chains. He's also considered, um, he's considered the oldest of the siblings, even though technically Death is the oldest. Um, But Destiny is kind of the one who calls all the shots within the family. Then there is Destruction, who I know very little of because part of the books that I've read that concern Destruction show him as gone or dead. or And I don't know how that's possible for him to be deceased. Um, so like I said, I know very little about Destruction because in the few books that I have read, he does not make an appearance. And then lastly is Delirium, who used to go by the name Delight. Now... I know very little about Delirium as well because Delirium is often portrayed as a child, but her appearance tends to change. She can be a child, she can be a teenager, she can be an adult. She always she's always tangible. She always looks a little different, but she's always female, and nothing about her is balanced. Her hairstyle is wacky. Her clothes are weird, and she's always seen carrying a balloon shaped like a fish. And these are the seven siblings that kind of govern the mortal world and they don't always get unlike regular siblings they don't always get along they're sometimes at each other's throats or sometimes they're distant and the whole story is centered about how they function in their jobs or their duties but mostly told through the eyes of the sandman himself or morpheus or dream which all as you'll notice all of the siblings are names all the siblings names start with the letter d so for the sake of the story i'm going to call him dream so that's about as far as I can go without divulging too much. And I'll also mention right now, too, that 
if you're a fan of the books, do not expect the series to follow the books closely because it doesn't. I've already seen, having seen the entire series, there are points where the books and where the book story and the series story meet, but they're not exactly on the same plane. Like there's winks and nods here and there. So if you're expecting a faithful adaptation, you're already in the wrong spot. It's not going to work. It may not work for you. But anyway, let's go ahead and get into spoiler territory for the Sandman series. So like I said, there's 11 episodes in the series and they're very solid. And truthfully, the first episode, Sleep of the Just, is a fucking great way to start this series. Like, everybody always worries that the first episodes usually are the drag because they got to introduce the characters and this and that. Hell no. The first episode hits the ground running. Simply just because of a man who captures Dream, even though his intentions was to capture death. Because he's an old man and he wants to continue living. And he feel like if he captures death, he doesn't have to worry about the fate of being immortal. Unfortunately... He captures Dream and keeps Dream captive for a hundred years, so much so that he eventually dies and his son takes over caring for Dream, or not even caring, but, you know, holding Dream hostage. And in that time, Dream's world falls the fuck apart uh, because now no one is there to control the Dreaming and serious ramifications happen. People have died. People have even went into sleep like comas for ages but don't age at the same time that they would if they were still alive. So from there, eventually Dream breaks free. He has to go back and rebuild his world. And he has this assistant named Lucien, who basically has been trying to run the show and keep all of his subjects and his court, even his home, alive while he's been gone. But at the same time... um, Dream has a subordinate that has been walking the earth and killing people and he's inspired a cult of his own. So he has to also keep him under control while also trying to reach out to his siblings that he's kind of upset at for not making the steps to go find him. And throughout the series, you find out why his siblings didn't necessarily rush to his aid. Um, but yeah, the series is fantastic. Um, I, I'm having a hard time not singing the praises of it because as much as I want to go into further um as much as I want to go in more into the further of each and every episode I don't want this to run super super long but what can I say other than the cast for this has been phenomenal and granted even when I saw it I had to kind of squint a little with certain character changes um not in a bad way necessarily, but I did have to look at it a certain way. Like, for example, Kirby Howell um, Bapsti... I'm going to butcher her name. I'm sorry. I'm going to read it slowly. Kirby Howell Baptiste. Kirby Howell Baptiste, yes, who is the actor who plays Death. I never thought I was going to ever see Death be portrayed by a black girl. But man, I'm so fucking impressed i love it i and again in the comics the sand the the endless don't have skin tones they're all just pure white like not like caucasian i'm talking white like paper white they don't have skin tones they don't because they're immortal they're gods they don't have skin tones but this fleshed them out and gave them more personality more character um I, i'm just gonna kind of rattle it off by characters um 
Tom Sturridge, who plays Dream, what can I say about this man? I don't know of any of his work before I watched Sandman, but just on the first episode alone, I fell in love with this man. Not not because of, like, I want to marry him, but because of his portrayal of Dream is what I expected. Dream is a very proud god. He is, he's very, he's very, how do I say this? Almost like just endlessly in solitude. But he also can be brash. He can definitely be thoughtless. He can be heartless. He's actually reckless, even. And it's up to Lucien, his assistant, to kind of keep him in check. And Lucien, played by by Vivian um, Achapong. Again, I'm so sorry if I'm saying your name wrong. Um, I think she plays the perfect combination of calm, stoic, and basically has to babysit Dream because of how reckless he is. Um, Even down to the hair, the tallness, because Dream has always been portrayed as tall, lanky, and lanky and pale. And this, and then Tom's portrayal of Dream is just crazy perfect i think he hits the he hits it on the head and what's weird is when i look at him at certain angles i don't see anything about him that seems godly and then in other angles when you look at him i'm like he's perfect he's absolutely perfect if there's one nitpick i wish they changed for the sake of the sandman is dream has always been noted as having pitch black eyes like no pupil no pupils or irises like nothing his eyes are just black but when you see his eyes face to face like directly you see endless star fields you literally see all of outer space nebulas supernovas shooting stars all within his eyes like that's just what he does and i i can understand why they may not have done it for the sake of the series but i personally love that image of him also, I love the actress uh, Gwendolyn Christie, who plays Lucifer. I love the idea of Lucifer being a woman. Even though um, stories will tell you that Lucifer was, was male, but all of God's angels are androgynous or don't have gender. So, I, But I do love that Lucifer is portrayed as beautiful because Lucifer was uh, the most beautiful angel in all of heaven. So it makes perfect sense. Jenna Coleman, who plays Joanna Constantine, they call it Constantine. I know us in America, we've been saying Constantine. Um, I think she's fantastic as Constantine, and I really do appreciate it. Uh, Boyd Hallbrook as Corinthian. Corinthian's fucking terrifying, by the way. I fucking love his portrayal. Mason Alexander Park as Desire, who actually played Gren in the Cowboy Bebop live action. I fucking adore. I adore adore him so much i love his portrayal as gren even though everybody argues it's not accurate i don't give a fuck i love him i absolutely love him as desire i don't think i could have thought of another person who would have been better and again back to my girl kirby harwell who plays death and for me to see death as a black girl is very inspiring because once upon a time at comic-con i think this was in 2011 i cosplayed death from the comics and painted myself white for that and that was a whole nightmare of a mess. And there's very few photos of me that exist in that. It, there is some on my Instagram if you dig far enough. But I really, really love that there is a black death. And I want to cosplay her version of death so much. But yeah, in terms of the series, we... And that's another thing. We also get a brief cameo by John Cameron Mitchell 
in some of the later episodes, which I fucking love because if any of you guys are in the LGBTQ community, you will remember John Cameron Mitchell as the original Hedwig from Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. It's easily up there in my top five. It's it's my top three musicals. Hell, it might even be my first place musical. Okay, maybe that's a little bit, that's a little ahead of myself, but no, it is in my top three favorite musicals of all time. And I loved seeing him. And the minute I saw him, I'm like, wait a minute, is that him? And loved it. I loved it so, so much. Um, Donna Peston, now this is where I'm going to nitpick a little. Donna Peston, or Preston as Despair. As I look at her IMDb photos, she's very beautiful. And I just feel like what they did with Despair was they just made her, I hate saying the F word, but they just made her a fat girl who doesn't do anything. And from what I've read of the comics, Despair is my one of my top three favorite characters. And I just feel like, and again, this is not the fault of her. This is the fault of the screenwriters. They didn't do anything with her character. And I'm hoping that's going to change with the potential of season two. Um, like I said, that's pretty much it as far as where I'm going to go with the series. I don't want to, I don't want to make it a whole thing about going through the entire cast list Especially since out of all the siblings, only four ever get seen. We don't get to see Desire. Oh, sorry. We don't see we don't see Destiny. We don't see Destruction. And we don't see Delirium. And there's even mentions of her old name of Delight. But we don't see them at all. We see their sigils when the siblings want to call upon them. But we don't physically see their bodies. So I'm waiting for season two to happen. Also, there was rumors that we might not even get a season two because production for Sandman was so expensive. And they basically said the series has to do phenomenal. Otherwise, there's no point of renewing. And Netflix is notorious for killing off a series if it's not the best of the best. Um, As we've seen with Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, we've seen it with... uh, They just canceled Resident Evil, which I didn't watch, but people have told me good things. So it really does hurt me that... Sandman might not get renewed for a second season. If I were you guys, much like myself, go and raise hell with Netflix to make sure that you keep the Sandman going because this is a fucking great series. Like I said, it doesn't follow the books super closely. Um, Like I said, there's winks and nods, um, especially when in the episode in um, in which Dream goes to hell and actually gets to see... Um, it's episode four where he, episode four called A Hope in Hell, where Dream has to go back, go to hell to go get an artifact that was stolen from him. And he briefly meets, meets Nada, which is this beautiful woman that he had condemned to hell. And even, uh, Dream's familiar crow, Matthew, took issue with this, which Matthew, by the way, fucking love him. He is definitely another person who's got to babysit Dream and tell him to basically get his shit together just as much as Lucien, who basically does run the dream world for for dream and even when you see nada immediately you were like if you're me you read you know the comic death at death's door you also read season of mist which is all pertains to his story time with his story with nada and it's a really heartbreaking story because it shows again that even though dream is our protagonist He's an asshole. He's arrogant. He's proud. And he has major, major faults. So 
it, I love that nod and I hope that we do actually get to see Season of Mist in one of the later seasons of Sandman because I want to see where their story, their story ends. And truthfully, the whole, whole entire last four episodes, um, you know, starting from episode seven called The Dollhouse, is basically the comic, The Dollhouse. And it, it's, it borrows a lot of it, but it changes a few things here or there. But from what I see of it, it's so good. Like, seriously, guys, I can't tell you enough. Keep singing the praises of Sandman. Keep reviewing it. Tell Netflix you love it so that we can definitely get a season two out of this. So that's going to be my quick review of the Sandman, which obviously, like I said, eight, hell, I'll give it an eight and a half out of ten. I really, really enjoyed this series. I think it really does deserve a season two. So like I said, sound off in sound off to Netflix and whatever social media you can to let them know we want a season two. So guys, not all that glitter is is gold, and we gotta review Orphan First Kill that premiered streaming on Paramount+. Plus. It also was released into some select theaters, and oof, I don't have the nicest of review for this. So I'm gonna go ahead and do the spoiler-free version right now, and then obviously we're gonna dig into spoiler territory from there. Now, in order to obviously, you don't have to watch them in this kind of order, but obviously since Orphan, the original came out in 2009, everybody has already seen it first. And if you haven't, the movie centers around this family that's grieving the loss of what would have been their third child as she was a miscarriage or a stillborn. And because it is fragmented, this husband and wife's uh, marriage, they decide to go and adopt a child named Esther. And Esther's not who she claims to be. And I don't think at this point, if you hadn't seen Orphan, yeah, I'm going to already get into spoilers for that. It turns out that Esther is not a simple nine-year-old girl from Russia. She is actually a 33-year-old escaped violent patient from an asylum. Or institute, as they call them now. And she has this pension for disguising herself as a child because she has proportional dwarfism. So she looks like a child. And she goes into a family or being adopted by a family and she tries to seduce the father. And if it doesn't work, she ends up killing the entire family. And such as is her MO with this family here. So Orphan First Kill basically takes up how she ended up in this family from the 2009 film in the first place. And... I want to give credit where credit is due by telling by saying the filmmakers did a fantastic job by using the original actress who played uh, Esther and had her come back for the movie. However, now so much time has passed because the original actress, um, as I quickly try to dig up her name real quick, uh, the original actress Isabel Furman who played Esther in the 2009 film, was originally 12 at the time, and now she's already in her 20s. So it's a lot of backpedaling to de-age her, which was all, which from what I was told was all done without CG, which is fucking impressive. None of it, no CG was used to de-age her. It was all just makeup and forced perspective. So like there will be body doubles when Esther is supposed to be like next to an adult and only be a certain height. And using forced perspective by maybe her being on her knees when there's fate like pictures of or shots of her and an adult together so in that regards this movie is very smart um where you lose me is the story the story is incredibly bonkers and i 
get it. It's trying to still fit that same feel as the 2009 film. But again, remember, this is a prequel. And at this point, we're supposed to just assume that Esther is supposed to be trying to portray a seven or eight year old girl, which is really hard to do because even with the makeup, I can definitely tell her face is a little older. Like her jawline has changed. The shape of her face has changed. And to some degree, I can buy that she looks like a child, even though Elizabeth, Isabel Furman is older. So let's get into spoiler territory for Orphan First Kill. I'm already letting you guys know I'm not a big fan of this film, but I do appreciate the certain aspects and liberties that were taken. But, but yes, from here on out, we're going to talk spoilers. So just to run through the movie real quick, we're actually catching up with Esther, a.k.a. Lena, in her Sarn Institute, where she finds a way to break out. She kills an orderly or a nurse that was going to be working there, steals clothing, and through the web looks up little girls that have been missing in America that she looks like she can imposter. And there she finds a little girl named Esther who is missing. So the family of Esther go to go out to Russia to get her thinking that she is the original Esther and Lena is trying to play the part of the child even missing but missing on certain key points like the family the family's grandmother is dead and there's a psychiatrist or a child therapist that um Esther used to speak to that had a pet parrot and she gets details about this wrong um come to find out the family secret is that the mother of this family and her son, which would have been Esther's brother, had actually murdered the original Esther when they were roughhousing or she was or the brother was playing too rough with her, whatever that case is, they kind of just lightly touch on that. So and because of the un, unex, unexplained death of the sis, of the original Esther, it broke the father's heart and the father was never the same again. And so because of that, the mother and the son had lied and said that Esther just went missing. And for four years, they had him believe that Esther was just missing. And now that this little girl, now that Lena had came into their life and posed as Esther, the mother is basically holding her hostage to play the part so that the father doesn't slip into another depression. But of course, Lena is a very dangerous and psychotic killer and the mother is also covering for the murder of her own daughter because she doesn't want to see anything happen to her son. So now it's kind of a battle of wills of who's going to kill who first, even though it's really dumb because in the 2009 movie, they already mentioned that there was a house fire with her first American family and she was the sole survivor. So we already know the fate that all these characters are going to die, that nobody survived except her. It's just how did we get to that point, essentially? And like I said, this is where a lot of key things about uh, Esther, a.k.a. Lena, come into play, like how she knows how to play piano, how she does she know how to paint, and especially use blacklight paint, or about her dentures because her teeth are not real, and how she practiced her body binding so she could continue to look, like have the physical body of a child. And yeah, it's kind of cute to see her take all these liberties to continue to disguise herself. But again, because we know the fate of these characters already, it doesn't matter. I feel like the story's completely mute. At least when we were watching Orphan in 2009, we knew where the story was going. 
And again, I don't want to really discredit the actors because I don't blame them. It's the script writers. It's not a very strong script. Even the deaths are not very exciting. I know that's a weird way to say it, but it's like, it seems a little predictable or underwhelming. Especially when you see the brother character, which isn't a spoiler, get killed. Because he's a true little shit this entire movie. Like, he's so entitled. He's such a fucking brat. And you don't feel anything for him when he dies. And I wanted a more spectacular death for him and the mother character because they were terrible. The only innocent character in this whole movie was the father because he truly believed that Lena was his dead, was his missing daughter, Esther. And then to come to find out that this girl at the last minute decides to go, I did this for us. I love you. And find out, wait, that's not my daughter in the horrific way. And then not even two seconds after making that realization, he dies. So he still dies thinking his real daughter is missing. And this fraud has been living in his house the whole time. And I just feel like that's, again, it's needlessly cruel. And again, his death was just kind of a, uh, oops, it happened. But it's it's done really stupid. So yeah, that's basically going to be the nutshell review of Orphan First Kill. I wasn't really impressed by this movie. I don't think I will ever revisit it. I had far more fun watching the first Orphan film. And like I said, this is not to discredit any of the actors. This is not to discredit any of the set designers or costumers or anything like that. It's really just an issue with the script. I feel like we could have gotten this story, but just told so much better. And I don't, again, you waited like almost 12, like 11 years, 11 or 12 years to tell this story again. And you waited too long because now it just, it's awkward. But regardless, I, I still think that this movie was fun-ish. Um, and if you wanted to watch the movies back to back, it makes more sense. Obviously watch for First Kill first and then get to Orphan after that. But no, personally, I wouldn't watch this movie again. I think Once was perfectly fine enough. Um, and like I said, it is streaming for free if you have Paramount+. Plus. If not, you, it is in select theaters, though I personally wouldn't waste the money to go see it in theaters. Um, yeah, this is going to be a, three out, of a t- 3 out of 10 for me, whereas at least Orphan was 7 out of 10 because it was dumb, but it was fun dumb. Um, and yeah, that's all I can really say about Orphan First Kill. Like I said, it's in theaters. If not, you can check it out on Paramount+. Plus. All right, guys, it's that time again. Let's go ahead and get into tonight's listener-friendly asked questions. Tonight, I have three, so let's go ahead and get into it. Um, my first question comes anonymously and says, if you had the chance, would you take revenge on anybody who has wronged you? Um, well, thank you for that question, Anonymous. And the answer is maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be above certain petty things in terms of someone who wronged you. Um, I'm also going to add this, that it depends on what the offense was. You know, like, I wouldn't get petty over, like, let's say a friend who never paid me back like five five or ten dollars for like I bought them lunch or something or whatever that is but you know it really does depend on the offense of the crime um I would never wish ill on anybody because again as a Wiccan I truly do believe in the laws of karma and anything you put out comes back to you times three that has always been the golden rule 
So if you curse somebody, it comes back to you times three. And that's just, that's always been the golden rule of karma. And I follow that very religiously. So I don't believe in cursing. I also, I know there are some Wiccan books out there, or they claim to be Wiccan or witchcraft books that show you how to curse people. First and foremost, don't ever do that. Do not ever put a curse on somebody. That is a very terrible thing to do. Um, Because like I said, it will come back to you. Now, there are spells to help you, to help prevent people from doing you harm, like binding spells, which I would highly recommend that if you plan to do something like that, do not, and I mean do not do this unexperienced. If you find books or spells online that show you how to perform it, follow it to the letter, to the absolute fucking letter. The last thing you want to do is fuck around and make a mistake and it ends up costing you. Can't say what it would cost you, but I'm just saying to not follow rules like this to a T obviously has been from trial and error. You definitely, with witchcraft, do not want to pull the fuck around and find out card. So I truly do believe that this was probably one of the wisest things said by Dita Von even though I truly do not like her. And that is to live well is the best revenge. Like people can hate you and curse you for whatever good came your way in your life. But as long as you continue to stay on that path, fuck what they think. And trust me, it's not like I haven't made a few enemies in my past as well. Like there's a former friend, an ex-friend in Hawaii who said terrible things about me none of them true even when as far as to cyber bully me before cyber bullying was a thing and made a website to tarnish the reputation of me and my friends when we were teenagers and I'm saying this as teenagers now I'm an adult in my 30s and that website is still up today with all the horrible things this person has ever said about me and I could be that person and go to the police and nail her for essentially over 15 years of cyberbullying and abuse, even almost coercing a friend of mine to commit suicide and was going to make fun of it on that website. And we'll never understand the legal ramifications that could have came from that. But I could easily do all of this. Thankfully, that person never did go through with the act and she is still alive and well today. But it still comes down to the universe will get her back without my guiding hand. Because people who do terrible things, whatever you've ever done in the dark will 100% come into the light. Don't think that it never will. So with that respect, I don't believe in, in getting revenge necessarily. But I do enjoy... I'm, again, there's, I'm not going to say I'm perfect. I do kind of enjoy in a, my own petty way watching karma come back to them because karma always does so i do enjoy that respect that whatever horrible they've done to me or others you'll get your comeuppance not by me but by the laws of the universe so with that in mind if if this is about you potentially seeking revenge on somebody i really say don't do it um to be a real serious voice of reason don't do it um, and again, it really does depend on the offense. And I, I, I don't want to air your 
your situation out. But like, for example, let's say if it's a, a violation of like a sexual assault or somebody physically harmed you or caused you to do anything that could harm yourself, the best thing you can do for yourself is take it to an, an authority figure like a police like police or talk to some kind of law enforcement about it. Because if it's a violation of you physically, then yes, it obviously this is something you have to, it's not even, that's not considered taking revenge, that's considered justice. And that's something you really should seek. If that, if this is the case, I, I, like I said, I don't know your situation, but that's the steps that should be taken. However, if it's something like me where it was like cyberbullying or someone is just mistreating you because they're just a dick, let karma handle that. But the best thing you can do for, for yourself is just excommunicate these people from your lives. Because if you're on a straight and narrow path, what the fuck do you need them for? You do not need to keep someone around that's going to bring you down. And a lot of people mistake this with friendships by thinking, oh, well, we've been friends for X amount of years or decades. Oh, you know, I've known this person all my life and, you know, they're starting to treat me like shit now. Don't mistake quantity over quality. Like, yeah, you may have had good times with them, but... If the bad outweighs the good, then they, you don't need them in your life at that point. You know, like you can call them out for it and be like, dude, you're acting like an asshole. Get your shit together. And if they still don't, ref if they still don't see the problem in their behavior, then you can excommunicate them. I'm not saying by any means is that easy, but it's better for your mental well-being as well as showing this person that there are negative ramifications for their actions. And you have to do that to protect yourself. And I've done this with... Funny enough, not a lot of people, but the few that I've done, I've cut them out of my life for a reason, and I'm a much better person for it. Because even when my own friends were telling me that this person was toxic and I refused to see it because of, oh, we've been friends for like 10 years or blah, blah, blah. And then when, again, it took time and I had to realize that I've met, I've been in friends with toxic people. Hell, one of them just because they were a dickheaded racist Trump supporter. And I had to excommunicate them out of my life because they, they never saw their actions as harmful to me or my, or my way of life. And that's something I didn't want. And I excommunicated that person from my life. And I've, I could not tell you how much my soul has lifted. Like 10 pounds worth of stress was released from my body when I let this person go. And yes, it hurt because we were friends for so long. But they chose their path and it's a very ugly path. And if that's what they want to do, that's fine. I just personally don't want to be involved. So yeah, it caused problems for a minute. But I'm still so much happier now with that person gone. And the sad part is, I don't miss this person at all. As much as we were friends for almost a decade, this person was kind of terrible. Anyway, I'm not going to make it all about this. But thank you, Anyway Anonymous, for your question. My next question is also anonymous. They ask... How do you read your tarot cards or cast spells? Okay, thank you also for that question. Um, that's actually an interesting one in the respect of everybody, every person who practices witchcraft or wants to ask the divine for, for guidance, they do it in their own way. Um, one, if you're asking me, me in particular how I like to do my spell casting is when it comes to casting a spell... You always want to leave your windows open because you usually do these at night because the moon is what really gathers your energy. The moon is your spirit. Um, I also like to have lit candles, obviously in, in a safe environment where I know this candles will not get knocked over. It won't cause a problem or actual fire. 
Um, and then I guess one of the biggest ones for casting spells or even reading your tarot cards is please wash your hands. Wash your hands or bathe or shower before you start casting spells or reading your three cards. Not just because you don't want to dirty up or put dirt, your dirt and your skin oils on your card, but it's because the whole point of asking for divine guidance is because you're supposed to come in clean. Your soul, your body, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, you're supposed to come in clean. Like, yes, you're asking for guidance from the divine by casting spells. Yes, you're asking for your oracle when you read your tarot. But you should come in clean because you need to come in with your thoughts coherent. Like, let's say you're asking the divine for help about your job or your love life or your financial situation or your health. You should come in with just that in mind. Now, me in particular, I have trained my tarot cards, and I know that's a weird way to say it, but I have trained my cards to never necessarily answer the question you ask, but to answer the question that is most pressing in your life. So, for example, I could go to my cards right now and ask, like, oh, me and, are me and my boyfriend going to get married someday soon? And my cards will actually tell me something about my job and be like, look, fuck, fuck the thoughts of marriage. Right now, you need to focus on your job because X, Y, and Z. Or maybe it's time for you to get promoted or time for you to look for a new job. So my cards will tell me the, the hard truths that I need to hear more so than my question. But if my question is the most pressing thing in my life, then yes, my cards will answer that. But all my cards have been attuned to do exactly that. Another thing I do with my tarot cards, and I've told others to do the same too, before as well as after you do your reading... Always take the deck firmly in both of your hands and blow on them at least three times. This is cleansing your cards of any energy that you may have had from a previous reading. Because you don't want that energy mucking whatever card, whatever questions you have for your cards currently. I feel like that's super important. Even when I buy my cards and I haven't even read them yet, I do this routine anyway. Even if I know I'm not going to touch these tarot cards for a hot minute, I will still blow these cards right then and there when I get them, like blow on them. Come on, people. Blow on my cards and make sure that they are cleansed for the next pop potential reading. Even if I'm not going to read the cards for another three months from now, when I pull them again, I will take them out of their box. I will blow on the deck, make them pure, make them clear so that we can go ahead and start the next reading. Like it's so detrimental for your cards to be cleared of old energy and ready to accept the new. So that's about it. Also, always remember to finish all your, your tarot card readings or close out any of your, close out any of your uh, spell casting with Blessed Be. You always want to close on a proper note. And when you start either your tarot readings or if, you, or if you do anything with runestones, which I don't, but if you do anything with runestones or you're casting spells or you're reading your cards, always start by asking for guidance from the from the mother maiden crone you always say your blesses to hectate hecate because you are trying to gather their wisdom and their knowledge to help you in whatever questions you have i hope that actually helps you out and thank you anonymous for that question and lastly my last one is not so much as a question but is it's, it's a little bit of a cause for concern but i'm going to read it anyway this one also comes anonymously, even though I'm sure they gave me the permission to use their screen name. I just going to choose not to 
because I don't want this person to be targeted for anything, but I'm going to answer it. And it says, I'm having a real hard time in my life. My home life is terrible. My family is hard to deal with. And I really hate my job. How do you get through it all? Um, thank you, Anonymous, for that question. I'm going to start this off by please seek help because I get very nervous when I see questions or comments that come to me like this about people who are in a bad way. Um, I can help you only so much. Um, if you feel safe to do so, please contact me via Instagram DMs. I will talk to you. I will help you the best way I can. But to do this on air of my podcast, the first thing I'm going to tell you is please seek professional help. I am not a professional. I will never pretend to be one. But this might be out of my depth of field to help you, especially if you are feeling in some kind of downtrodden or depressive state. Um, I highly encourage you to please seek someone professional. Um, definitely Google someone in your county or if you feel like it's this serious, uh, contact a suicide hotline to help you. But in the advice I can give you on air, I will say that as much as it sounds like a cliche, and I know I've even hated hearing it myself, the saying of it will get better is 100% true. I'm not going to pretend um, like I'm perfect. Um, I've Like I've said in an earlier listener-friendly asked question, I did hit a low point in my life as well because I was being cyberbullied, not only because of my weight or my boob size, but I was even racially targeted several times by people I dared to call friends. And it did, I'm not going to lie, this had at one point made me suicidal. And I kept telling myself, I don't know if this is all worth it. And of course, I was a teenager. I didn't know better yet. And it definitely did put me in a dark place. I went to a very, very dark place. And it did take friends and a lot of couraging and reinforcement to pull me back. And I wouldn't be here today had I listened to all my dark thoughts. And I highly, deeply encourage you to seek as much friendship and help as you can out of people who can definitely help you, who can definitely get you back on a proper track. Um, like I said, I was cyberbullied by one friend. I had a Trump-supporting ex-friend who was a racist. And it just, it went, it, it definitely took a toll on me. And again, it took a lot of positive reinforcement from anybody. A lot of friends, like you have to reach out to your friends to tell me it's going to be okay. And you have to also not only talk to the friends that are going to support you emotionally, but the friends that are going to also tell you the honest truth. You know, in these kind of situations, you don't want to be lied to or pandered to. You just have to accept it. You have to accept that you have faults. You have to also accept that you are also fully capable of love and being cared for and being treasured and value yourself. And I know that, like I said, I, I, I speak from this, from a lot of experience with this, that it does take a lot of reinforcement to learn how to love yourself because I didn't always do that either. Even now, I'm still growing and learning. And in these situations, you're always going to be learning. You're always going to be a student of learning how to love yourself better, even with whatever flaws you think you have. For me, it's I don't like that, I'm, I'm, that my boobs are so big or I don't like the fact that I feel overweight. And I'm going to constantly berate myself about these things, even though it's not the healthiest way to deal with it. 
But I'm also training myself to be like, well, if I'm not this happy with my body, I need to start doing little things every day to fix it. Like eating healthier meals, eating at proper times, like not eating so late at night, fitting a little bit of fitness into everything I do so that I can at least trim down until I can start saying maybe I can afford a gym membership and I can start doing that. Or start getting workout videos or start working, watching um, workout videos on YouTube to try to help me maintain my body weight and get back to where I want it to be. Or improving my love life or even um, potentially a new job. You know, I, I know you mentioned that you didn't like your job and I get that. Nobody loves their job, especially now when we're still in a pandemic and we still need to be working. And the best thing I can always tell you is don't quit your job outright. Definitely go out there and search and don't stop searching till you find what you want. And then only then once you've secured it, you secured this new job that you really want, then leave your old one. Never leave something without something else secure. That's something my mom taught me and I still live by that motto as well. Home life, I can understand what it's like living in a home life that's uncomfortable and it's toxic. And it's one of those as much as you want to live the life of some of these Instagram influencers who live so well and stuff, remember they had to come from, some of them came from humble beginnings too. And it is a matter of if it's if it's living with family or other friends that are just not working out for you or roommates, then it is time to make that shift. I know it's expensive and it's hard and it's a long, grueling process and it's not exactly fun, but definitely get yourself out there to start looking for new housing associations, see if there's other family that you can live with. Do make the small strides to make everything in your life better. And trust me, I mean, nobody can choose their family. Um, I love my family, but even some of them I have to love at a distance. And it's never easy, especially if you're like me and you're the only goth in your family, you are looked at a certain type of way and they don't understand. And sometimes it feels like they go out of their way to try not to understand. But all I can recommend for you at that point is just to continue being yourself. As long as you know in your heart you're a good person and you are not mistreating anybody else, fuck what everybody else thinks. And that includes family because I've had family treat me terribly because of my lifestyle choice. And you don't need that negativity in your life as long as you are still a kind person at the end of the day. So that's all I can truly recommend for you is, yes, as much as it sounds like a cliche, it will get better. It did for me. And if you're willing to make the effort to make everything better, then you can do this too. You can get through this. But like I said, if this is a seriously dire situation, I highly encourage you to please seek professional help. And that goes for any of my listeners going through it. Yes, you can reach out to me and I can help you to the best of my ability. But at the end of the day, the change starts with you. And that's going to be it for tonight's listener friendly ask question. Questions. I do apologize if I did not get to your question tonight, but you can feel free to DM me through TikTok or Instagram if you have a question you would like me to answer in a future episode. And that's it, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in on tonight's episode. Like I did warn in the beginning, this episode was going to run a little longer than usual. I didn't expect it to be nearly two hours, but that's because of the break that I took. And again, there was just so much news to talk about. And I didn't want to leave anything in particular out. Like, and in truth, I actually kind of had to. Like, there was the rumor that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis will be playing the new... um, Madame Leota in the upcoming Haunted Mansion movie. 
And I know there's actually an air of truth to it because she did say mention something about it. But it feels like I didn't want to dedicate a whole topic to something like that. You know what I'm saying? But I mean, if she is fucking awesome, I'm, I'm rooting for her because that'd be a really cool one. And, but it's going to be hard for me to top the original Madame Leota and from the ride and Jennifer Tilly. So more power to her. And of course, I could have talked about Chucky season two and and uh, shopping at Spirit Halloween this this season. But I feel like those are things that are not super important that can kind of take the back burner for now. Or even the news about Hocus Pocus 2, which again, stuff that I can review after D23. But anyway, I wanted to say thank you to all of you guys for tuning in, whether you live in the same city as me, the same state, um, you know, same country or halfway across the globe. Your listenership keeps my podcast going. And I cannot tell you thank you enough from the bottom of my heart for tuning in for me, even on days like this where I don't release the episodes on time. Like I said, it's not that I didn't want to. It was just I did have other obligations that took priority over getting this episode released. Now, like I said, with that in mind, there isn't going to be an episode next week, um, midnight on Saturday the 3rd. There isn't going to be an episode on Saturday the 10th either, as I will be spending that weekend at D23, uh, D23 Expo, the Disney convention. So there is their next episode will only come out on September 17th at midnight. So, or should I say Friday the 16th at midnight, Friday into Saturday, 16th into the 17th at midnight, as per my usual. And yes, this is also the end of season five. And I guess as my tradition is when I start a new season, I take a two week break and come back to start the new season fresh in two weeks. So season six will be following that tradition of it'll be out in about two weeks. And I'm sure that first episode is going to be a doozy. I'm, I notice a lot of you guys have also mentioned I didn't really have a lot of guests in this season. I had none, if I'm honest. And it wasn't really topics that I wanted to discuss with other people yet. But now that we're inching into spooky season, yeah, it's going to be time to have guests on. We're going to review movies together, rank movies even, and just have a good old time because you guys seem to really love when I do bring guests on. And I want to continue to give that to you guys. So we will have that continuing into season six. But that being said, guys, um, you can follow me on any of my social media. My Twitter and my Snapchat is MoonchildNil. And yes, I'm not very active on Snapchat like at all, but keep your eyes peeled. I'm going to start making a comeback. And then, of course, my Instagram, TikTok, and even my YouTube channel are Morningstar Moonchild. And again, I know my YouTube is still kind of bare, but work with me here. I'm getting there. So go ahead and check all of these out. Give them a like, subscribe, or a follow, or even share them if you know like-minded fans of the spooky world, such as myself, who you think would absolutely love this, and including the podcast as well. That being said, guys, it is a very scary world, and it's a very hot world right now as we're going into our heat wave. Even today, the weather is 106. It's very, very hot outside. Please, guys, remember to hydrate. Drink as much water as humanly possible. Cold water. Stay indoors. Keep your fans on. Keep your house, if possible, around 70 degrees or so. Please make sure to take good care of your pets, especially walking them on hot sidewalks. Keep in mind, their padding absorbs all their heat. Make sure if you believe in buying these um, shoe booties for your pets, especially your dogs, please do that because it is it's pretty much cruelty to let them walk on the sidewalk with the asphalt as hot as it is with just their bare pads. Also, do not keep your dogs or your children in cars while you go somewhere. 
Like, if you're driving somewhere, cool, but do not leave your pets or your children in your car while you go off shopping or running your errands, because that is incredibly fatal for for children and pets. Please don't do that to them. And the fact that I I even have to say this means that there really are some fucking dumbasses out there who do this. So please take care of your pets and such. I'm also going to make more attempts to do more lives. Um, I know I usually do them every weekend. I haven't been keeping that tradition going too much just because I've been super busy getting ready for D23. Um, I'm going to try to do some this weekend, but I don't want to make any promises. So I will attempt to make some lives this week, but I can't promise anything, especially not this week. And then obviously won't be able to do any for D23. But yeah, I usually do them on my TikToks and my Instagram at the same time. Uh, I usually simultaneously do it and somehow it works. So please keep that in mind for the next time I decide to go live. And with all of that, guys, like I said, stay hydrated, stay safe. Please be kind out there. Kindness will cost you nothing. Kindness is free. And I will see you guys in season six. Blessed be.